Hello, you're watching the Les Novelles Spreet video series on the theology of the body. This video is dedicated to audience 33. We are your hosts. I am Jeremy Hossotter. And I'm Guillermo Moreno. All right. So in the previous audience, we were introduced to the term appropriation, and now we're going to examine that. So our focus is the verse from Genesis 3, verse 16, and I'll go ahead and read that. Quote, your desire shall be for your husband, but he will dominate you, end quote. So man now relates to woman such that she is an object to appropriate and is no longer considered as gift. So appropriation is defined as, begin quote, the action of taking something for one's own use, typically without the owner's permission, end quote. And that's from the Oxford Dictionary. So the man relates to the woman in a way that now she becomes an object for him to take for his own use. And once the man does this, the woman is no longer considered to be a gift of God. She is just now some object to be used like a hammer or a saw or something else. And in doing so, and how man relates to the woman in this manner, he too becomes an object to be appropriated. And so the reciprocal relationship between the man and the woman becomes a reciprocal appropriation. And this reciprocal appropriation, or I should say in this reciprocal appropriation, the structure of the communion of persons disappears. This appropriation is antithetical to the communion of persons. And so once the man and woman refer to each other or relate to each other as objects to be used for their own motives and whims, then the structure of the communion of persons is no longer possible no longer able to be established. Yes. Um, if I may interject. Yeah. What comes to my mind, yes, when they use each other, this relationship, it's based on what am I getting out of it? What am I getting out of this person? What's in it for me? That this relationship, it's going to continue as long as, I guess that's a, as long as that's the case and okay, that's clearly using someone as a means to an end and that's never healthy, just very practically. And um, of course, I would also say ethically speaking, something's wrong there because this person, because he or she is a person is deserving of love and nothing less. But using somebody, it, yes, it's less than love, but it's also in this respect, the opposite of love. Yeah. It reminds me of when JP2 talks about in Love and Responsibility that hate is not the opposite of yep. love, but mm -hmm. use mm -hmm. is. When we 
when we relate to the other within this use object relation, we are treating the other as something to be used. And then once we're done, we dispose of that. Yep. The person is no longer treated as a person, but an object to be disposed. While they're being used too, not just before they're disposed of. Right. But you think about it, once you're done using, say, a paper towel, you know, you just wad it up and throw it away. In a sense, the person is no different because they're just an object to be used. And once you're done, you just wad up the person and cast them out from your life. And that's disturbing. And that's precisely the problem that JP2 is bringing to our attention. Maybe it's part of the root of the problem, considering Christ's words, words that if you look at a woman to desire her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without jumping too far, mm -hmm. I will say that the, the, those words, which we have been talking about for the last few audiences, we will continue talking about. So, excellent. In fact, we are an audience 33. And we have just offhand, I'm remembering that the next six or seven audiences, we are diving into this further, these ideas. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have anything else, Guillermo? Nope. No? Okay. In that case, when we do, when the man and woman relate to each other in this manner of use, the heart is rendered as almost incapable of performing the gift itself according to the spousal meaning of the body because of this desire for appropriation. And so the text of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, indicates that this domination and appropriation is more so at the woman's expense. That in, in some real way, she will feel this more than the man, because she's the one who will be desiring the husband, but he is the one dominating her. Now... There is a parallel between Genesis 3.16 and Matthew 5. In Genesis 3, we have, he will dominate you. And in Matthew 5, we have, whoever looks at a woman to desire her. And from this parallel, we can infer that man has a duty from the beginning. And his duty consists of two things. First, to be a guardian of the reciprocal gift of self, and secondly, to accept the woman in her femininity as a gift and to receive it in the reciprocal exchange of gift of self. And so concupiscence threatens the man by tempting him to eliminate this gift from the woman. Concupiscence 
threatens man, it tempts him to not be a guardian, but to dominate the woman. Now, to be clear, both the man and the woman both have the duty towards the reciprocal gift of self, but it appears that man has his duty more so since he is the one that is going to be more so the one that is in the position of dominating. And so with this duty towards the reciprocal gift of self, we can note that if the gift is violated, there the duty arises to reestablish it. And last thing to note is these truths about the duties of the man and the roles of male and female within the community of persons, these are truths that are independent of the historical, social, cultural conditions of the Bible. And the reason why JB2 reminds us of this is because when we think about some of the criticisms of the Bible, especially, say, the feminist critiques, some are tempted to say, well, that's the Bible is just presenting a particular era and how they viewed gender roles of man and woman, and, but they have no relevance to today. And what JP2 is affirming is that there are truths being expressed in scripture that are independent of the feminist critiques or other, I guess, gender, biological, sex-inspired critiques, uh, or just even sociological criticisms of the way the society was conducted in the times of Jesus and before, that there are truths here that pertain to all men and women regardless of their historical situation, regardless of their sociological condition, and regardless of their cultural condition. Yeah, one of these truths is that man has a special duty of being a guardian of the gift. Did you have anything you'd like to add, Guillermo? Not exactly. Okay. Yeah, and the reason why I sound hesitant is because I do, I do. I just um okay, I'll, I'll share it briefly. Uh, right. This slide, this slide especially, just reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, if any those of us who are familiar with that quote, we've heard it from that the first Spider Man movie from back in twenty twenty uh, two thousand and two, and. What the, just just both sexes are powerful when it comes to when it comes to our sexuality. In a manner of speaking, just in a real way, it's fair to say that men are the stronger sex, and there's this responsibility that comes with our ability to provide, protect, and what's the other one? Provide, protect, and there's three. Um, roles that men play across the board, regardless of the culture and regardless of the historical time. I'm forgetting one. Lead, to lead. There we go. And um, it's, it's written in our bodies, men, 
And are we living up to that? Just gradually, I think, no, we're not. And then what else comes to mind is when it comes to women's femininity, just there's just a, a visible beauty there that, you know, it would, there's a feminine beauty there that has power too. And this one speaker, his name's Jason Everett. I really like how he says in one of his talks, when he's talking to the girls, when he's addressing the girls more specifically about modesty and just how that is manifested in living out purity of heart. He tells women, like women, you, you have the power to turn a guy's head. Yes. But you also have the power to, uh, to turn a guy's heart. So in the way that women dress, when it comes to modesty, you know what? It's them fulfilling their responsibility with the power that is granted to them to them by virtue of the fact that they are women. All this is just hitting me um, like a landslide with just witnessing this, the content in this slide. That's all. Yeah, thank you for that, Guillermo. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate those comments. Just kind of how we see that today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, I guess, a contemporary author or speaker to help kind of relay this. Yeah. Um, another interesting person to reference is Edith Stein's book, mm. Essays on Women, where she talks about kind of the essence of femininity. So that's another interesting book. Oh, thank uh, you. If for the listener, if they're looking for something a little bit more philosophical, Edith Stein's an interesting person because she was born a Jew, became a either agnostic or atheist. And then she became a trained philosopher under Edmund Husserl. So she was part of the phenomenological tradition. She discovered the Carmelites, became a Catholic nun, and through Catholicism discovered Thomism. And so she became a student of both St. Thomas Aquinas and Edmund Husserl. Then she died as a martyr at Auschwitz. That's intense. Yeah, no, it's quite remarkable. But back in the 30s, she wrote some essays that she gave as talks on kind of the, on the essence of women. And that was collected in Essays on Women, her book, Trick. So... I mentioned that because there is a little bit of Edith Stein in the background of the theology of the body, but that's beyond this video. Yes. St. John Paul II was an admirer of Edith Stein. Yeah. Maybe we should come back to theology of the body now. Um, did you have anything else, Guillermo? I do not. Okay. In that case, let's see. Okay, I'll move one side. The loss of another meaning. 
Now, just a warning to the listeners, the following part of the audience becomes very technical. It's a very philosophical analysis. So concupiscence in the previous audience we saw cause all kinds of damage concerning the relationship between man and woman and how they relate to each other and how man and woman experience themselves as persons. And now JP2 wants to bring to our attention another loss of meaning. So to, to recall, concupiscence renders the body into terrain for appropriation. Concupiscence deprives the man and the woman from being able to relate to each other according to the spousal meaning of the body. And on top of this, concupiscence is a loss in a meaning of my. So what we're going to investigate now is the meaning of my. That's right, the word M-Y. So when we talk about the love between a man and a woman, it is expressed through my, like my love for you. So we have a kind of material meaning of my as the relation of possession in the context of love. This is a personal analogy of such relation. And keep in mind, analogy indicates both similarity and a lack of identity. There's something relatable, but not completely the same thing, not complete identity. And so we need to keep in mind this kind of concept of personal analogy that there is a my in relation to possession, but it's in the context of love. So it does not quite match this relationship, this possessive relation. And so there are going to be two meanings of my. So belonging in its original specific meaning is the relation of an object to a subject, a relation of possession and property, a object as a piece of property belonging to a someone. And so we have a, what I call a positive and negative meaning of my JP2 does not call these a positive and negative meaning, but I took the liberty of organizing it in this manner. There is a, what we mean by like a positive meaning is a meaning of my that belongs within the contours of this personal analogy, whereas the negative meaning is a reference to this original meaning of belonging. And so this original meaning of belonging interprets my strictly in terms of possession and property as an object belonging to someone. Whereas in this analogical or, or in this analogous sense, that is the personal analogy, you have, um, it's going to be within the dimension of gift. And so you have the reciprocal giving of selves between the man and woman. And because of this, you have the preservation of the spousal meaning of the body. And so the possession is interpreted as a gift 
and its possession falls under the law of gift. All of these concepts under the positive meaning of my become negated in the negative meaning. So the negative meaning of my is in terms of this original meaning where you have the relation of possession, property, the person's a prop is an object of property owned by someone. And so this relation has no reciprocal giving. It loses the spousal meaning of the body and it belongs to within the dimension of concupiscence. And the, this possession is a possession as a property. So the other person bel belongs to you as property under this, and it falls under this law of property. Did you have anything like to add, Guillermo, to this? I do not. Okay. In that case, I think we'll move on. I think this table gives a nice outline of the two meanings of my. It does. These two meanings of my in the text are kind of mixed together across a couple um, articles. And so I just separate it out, make it look more presentable. All right. So the consequences of this negative meaning of my then. So the possession of the other person is interpreted as property. And property implies the concept of enjoyment. So objects I own or possess are at my disposal to be used as I see fit and to be enjoyed by myself. And concupiscence pushes the man towards enjoyment at the expense of personal analogy. So the disinterested gift of self is in essence excluded by this concupiscent inspired egotistical enjoyment. And so as we've talked about before, there's a war between the body and spirit and this is introduced by concupiscence. And this places man within an almost constant danger of evaluating the other person in terms of a desire of the body, treating the other as an object to be possessed, used, and enjoyed according to his whim. Let's see here. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Guillermo? No, I do not. All right. I just want to double check since... That awesome. is the last slide. Yay. All right. In that case, thank you for watching our video. If you have been enjoying our content, please subscribe to our social media, like, share, and comment. Also, consider making a financial donation. Your financial support goes towards maintaining our website and the purchase of resources for us to continue producing great work for that you love and enjoy. On our website, you can find many other many other activities of ours, such as all of our articles on various topics and our podcast. Um, Guillermo, do you have anything else you'd like to add about our podcast? 
Yes, on our other podcast series, we talk about a diversity of topics, including trends in culture and politics. We address these from a Catholic personalist perspective. Now, we upload our episodes onto buzzsprout.com, and you can find our page from Buzzsprout on the Lenovo Lisbury website. And you can listen to us directly on Buzzsprout, or you can use it to access our episodes on other major platforms for podcasting, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. All right. Thank you, Guillermo. If you are wondering, just we're at the final of our social media profiles and where to get links for our Patreon, etc. You can just simply go to lenovelspreet.com slash subscribe. There we have links for it all. All of our social media handles and our various um, distribution platforms for the podcast. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Guillermo? Yes, I would like to ask our viewers and listeners to keep us and our mission in your prayers. Yeah, thank you for that, Guillermo. Please pray for us. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye. Bye, everyone. God bless.